Yo, what's up, guys? Today on the show, we're bringing on an all-around athlete, someone who has had experience in cheerleading, volleyball, basketball, football, track and field, especially track and field. Very, very good competitor, someone who's competed at the highest levels and now is making his way to the Olympics in skeleton. You don't want to miss this episode of the Game Time Guru. So, what time is it? Game Time Boost! This is the Game Time Guru podcast where I interview sports figures from all over the world to help deliver a panoramic view on sports. So whether you're a former athlete, one of the crazies, or simply a casual sports fan, this is the perfect show for you as we peel back the curtains and learn from our guests every single week. I'm your host, Shane Larson, and I'm helping you see sports through a different lens. What's up, everyone? Welcome out to another episode of the Game Time Guru Podcast. I am your host, Shane Larson. Excited to be here with another amazing interview. This one hits close to home. Super, super exciting. And I know the people who are listening here that follow me from the Treasure Valley are going to absolutely love this one. Now, I'm bringing on a guest who I, I actually went to high school with. He was a year younger than I, but uh, I ended up, I was on the same basketball team as him for one year uh, during, our, during our junior varsity basketball season. But, uh, you know, I've always followed him from afar. I was telling him that before we started inter- started the interview. Is I've always followed you from afar, just kind of seeing the success that you've had. And I always remember how unbelievably successful you were through high school with the different sports that you were competing in. And just to see how that's carried on. And now uh, going to the Winter Olympics, unbelievable. Uh, we're going to get into that story here in just a second. But introducing our guest, it's Andy Blazer. Thank you for joining us, man. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely, brother. So like I was saying before, Andy, like what I found was interesting is in high school, I, I at least from what I can remember, you had done competitive cheer, um, but it wasn't at the high school at the time. I think you had mentioned before that you did you did competitive cheer. It was like club, if I believe. And then you also, you, you were into volleyball, you played football, you played basketball. I mean, you played every, and you obviously track and field. You were, um, you wiped the slate clean when, when I was at the state tournament. I remember, I remember you standing there with a couple of friends of yours at the state championships or the state tournament or whatever, the state track meet. And you had like five medals or more. I don't know, but you were just, you like wiped everything clean. You were just such a, an all around athlete. And I want to talk to you about that. Like your, your upbringing and your, your history and sports as a whole and how you like got into all of those different sports. Um, so mine was kind of interesting. I'm the youngest of four kids. Um, so it's, it's my older brother, Sherman, who's actually, for those of you in the Treasure Valley, he's the head football coach over to Waihee right now. Um, so Sherman played football, basketball, ran track. Then I've got my sister, Lindsay, who was more of a volleyball player. She also played basketball and ran track. Jamie, who's just about three years older than I am. She was a, a senior, my freshman year. She also played volleyball up until a knee surgery kind of ended that. She was a big basketball player, also ran track. And then by the time it got to me, I kind of got the hodgepodge of all of their athletic experiences. Uh, we joke with volleyball that I was target practice. So we'd be playing out in the yard and they would hit at me. And then eventually they would let me try and, and pass the ball back to them. So I was starting volleyball pretty young through my older sisters with Sherm. He was like my idol. Uh, he's my older brother, uh, but he's six, four and was a 
really big athlete. <laughs> yeah. But when it came to basketball and we're playing in the yard, I was trying to figure out how to shoot around or over someone who was legitimately a foot taller than I was, which is why I hated playing under the rim when we played basketball. I hated being a power forward because I was so used to having to get around my brother and his friends in the yard playing and, and stuff like that. So all of that kind of culminated in what I did with track. I did the same events as kind of each of one of my siblings really yeah. sure we did a lot of the same events, but Jamie was a sprinter. Lindsay threw and, and high jumped and Sherm was the all around. So it, it was, it's kind of fun looking back on it, just how I got exposed to all of those sports with cheer. I don't even remember it. I did just competitive cheer, all-star cheer, whatever you want to call it. And I, I was 16, 15, I think it was 15. And we had a, a friend, Kathy, who was a big cheerleader at Meridian and, and then did all-star stuff. And she was just standing there with me. It was actually, this is even more. So it was a theater. We were in a theater rehearsal and I was like, I want to learn how to do this. And she was like, okay, do this. And by the end of it, I left doing standing back tucks. And so she just kind of taught me how to do backflips. And then from there, it, it just went and I was like, yeah, maybe I'll try this. It seems like I'd be good at it. And that's kind of what got me in there was just that I, I picked up tumbling pretty quickly and then never really looked back. So I did that junior year of high school, part of senior year. I don't know. It was, it was weird. No, that's the coolest thing though. Just hearing you talk about it, man. It, it, it's, it's not surprising though, where you're at now because we'll get into your story with bobsledding too, because like in the skeleton race, like you pick stuff up, you were good at a lot of things and you you had the dedication to just put the work in in those those types of things. You picked up cheer, like doing a standing back. Okay, come on now, dude. Like not many people can do that. And I, I just remember very briefly, like, I mean, I played one season with you in basketball when I was on JV and you were a sophomore at the time and just how ultra athletic you were. It was like the weirdest thing. I was like, dude, he can like just stand there, touch the rim. He can do a backflip. He can do a lot of things. I, I was like, what in the world? And you could run. Like, you were like a gazelle, dude. Like, you could run. So you could get from one side of the floor to the other side of the floor in just a split second. I was just like, man, like, ultra athletic. That is just crazy. And then as you got through with high school, if I recall, wasn't it Louisville? You went to Louisville or at least had a scholarship offered to Louisville before you went to U of I and just broke all these records in the WAC yeah. or whatever. Uh, so I, I took a couple of visits through, like, the senior year. Uh, signing periods and everything have kind of changed. But at that point I had gone to like Syracuse on a visit. I had visit offers from Colorado, Arizona, just a couple different schools around. And I, I knew the jumps coach at Louisville. He actually Boise state's track is named after his dad. He went to Bora. He grew up in the Boise Valley. Oh, okay. Kobe. Um, and I had known Jake because he had coached my siblings when I was a kid. So when I was really looking at school, I, was, I wanted to find somewhere that I was not going to be the big fish in a little pond, but also that I wasn't going to be the tiny fish in a huge pond. And so yeah. I, I looked at a conference primarily. I know that's kind of weird. Uh, I tried to find a conference that I thought I would do well in and still be pushed and, and have to get better to keep up in the conference. 
And the Big East kind of stuck out for me in that one. There were, there were I think, 14 men's teams at the time. It might have been 16 uh, men's track teams. And I was like, just by default, you're going to end up with some good athletes in there. I was transitioning events. So I got on the phone with Jake, and I had grown up really hurtling high jump, did long jump my junior and senior year. I only really jumped two years of high school uh, in long jump. And then with that kind of tumbling, cheerleading, whatnot, I picked up pole vault in college. Of so, course you did. <laughs> yeah, most... Uh, because it's part of the decathlon. And so I was getting recruited and it's the event that a lot of decathlon coaches will shy away from if you don't have experience with. So I was getting kind of calls from coaches and they wanted to know if I had pole vaulted. And I kept telling them, no, I hadn't. I think I did it at three meets uh, in club, not even for the high school. It was in my club season during the summer. And then Jake, knowing my background was like, no, you're going to be a decathlete. And I was like, perfect. So I took my visit to Louisville, signed, went down there. Uh, and the coach that was actually in charge of the multi had ended up leaving right wow. after I sent my national letter of intent. So just a couple of weird scenarios uh, after that freshman year. So I, I was planning on going to a JUCO uh, in Oregon, and I got all enrolled in, and whatnot. And then... I think it was honestly the day before I was moving. I got on the phone with Spencer Meinberg. I don't know. Oh, yeah. Spencer. Shout out Spencer. I know who he is. So I got on the phone with Spencer and he was like, what are you doing right now? He's like, I'm, I was going to go to a junior college and try and run again. And he goes, well, my roommate is getting married and moving out at semester. Do you want to come be my roommate and run at U of I? And then I got on the phone with U of I's coach and ended up bailing on on this college in Oregon and moved in with Spencer and ran at U of I for three and a half years. So it kind of all worked out really well. Uh, things went smooth in that transition. I was a little overweight. I'd taken nine months off from track and then all of a sudden I was back on a college team. So. Oh, wow. Okay. So that's super cool because I don't think a lot of people know that. Even the ones who are around here who may, maybe went to high school with you that just kind of knew you like myself. I don't think we knew the backstory to everything, but we just assumed you went from Louisville right over to – it was just smooth like whatever, but like there was a nine-month hi hiatus out of there, and then you had to get back in shape and do your thing, which, by the way, is we – just to kind of go over, you just destroyed things in college. Amazing records. If you guys want to check it out, go to go Google Andy Blazer over at you know University of Idaho. You'll see the records. Like everything he was doing in the track game, unbelievable dude the, it was just amazing to see your success but then it didn't transfer or it didn't it didn't end it transferred after college when you decided to get into bobsledding and i want to ask this how in the world did you get introduced to this sport uh so we kind of have a a joke with most of us in in bobsled that we all come into it one of two ways so you were either kind of a thrill seeker who watched it at the Olympics and you were like, Hey, I'm going to try that. Or you had a previous coach who suggested it for me, kind of a combination of both. My older sister, Lindsay, who I had mentioned earlier, and I kind of had this joke of what I was going to do when track was over. Um, so I'm 30, 
32. I turned 33 this year. I just had to think about how old I was. <laughs> and the the former world record holder in the decathlon is a, from Oregon, ran at the University of Oregon, Ashton Eaton. He's a year and a half or maybe two years older than I am now. And as a decathlete, you only compete maybe three times, four times a year. Uh, it's just too hard on your body to do that week in, week out. So when you're trying to make a living on it, you're not getting the same kind of income off of that sport. So I was like, okay, even if I were to make it, if I got a professional contract, what is it going to be a shoe deal? No, uh, I'm not really going to get a, a living off of this. So we had this joke kind of based off of the movie cool runnings. Like, what are you going to do when you're done with track? And I was like, well, whatever, track athlete does i'm gonna bobsled that was my only exposure to it was that everyone i thought finished track and just became a bobsledder so that was my my initial kind of introduction to it was this joke with my sister that ended up not being a joke and then i had a teammate at the university of idaho a guy named sam michener who actually represented the us in the 2018 games in pyeongchang he made it as a bobsledder. He was a sprinter up at U of I with me. And he and I ended up going to a combine together. So we do kind of like an NFL combine. Distances are a little different. They're not the same events, but they take eight kind of athletic tests and give you a compilation score. So I, I showed up with Sam. He had been recommended by a, a sports psychology PhD candidate up at the University of Idaho. We just call him Trin. He had represented uh, Trinidad and Tobago in bobsled. And so he suggested it to Sam. I kind of took part A of this joke and part B of somebody saying, hey, you should try this and showed up. And then the bobsled coaches took one look at me and they're like, yeah, we need you to gain like 25 pounds by by this date. Can you do that? And I, no. <laughs> My response was like, no, I can't. So I ended up being recommended to try skeleton when we have like a push track. So it's a sled on wheels, just on dry land. And I tried that a couple times, not a big fan of it at first. Uh, try, let's see. So we take a sliding school or do a sliding school. So for five days I went down and, and was just on a sled from lower down the track, take a lot of hits. You have no idea what you're doing. It's just to see if inherently you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> Slowly work my way up the track. Then I think year two, I did like three days a week. I would go down and slide. So I was a graduate assistant coach at Utah State University at this point. Okay. So I was driving from Logan, Utah, about an hour and a half, in between an hour and a half and two hours a couple days a week to go down and slide and then go back and coach every day. So that was a lot of commute time. I wish podcasts had really been a thing for me then. Cause that would have been a really good way to climb <laughs> in a car. Uh, so I, I was kind of commuting, set up my sled wrong. I had a piece that was in completely the wrong spot wasn't getting the output from my sled. So I was just taking a lot of hits. I have scars and I was getting x-rays and I was crying the entire time down the track. 
which in a face mask in the cold, your visor's just foggy. And then you put that on top of just a white shoot of ice and I couldn't see anything. Yeah. So then I, I gave that up, went back and tried bobsledding. So I started bobsled, went to skeleton, went back to bobsled. Still couldn't gain weight, tried driving bobsleds, was even worse at that than anything. That's still to this day one of the few athletic endeavors that I was like, yeah, no, I'm awful at this. <laughs> and then finished that season kind of pushing sleds again, gave everything up and moved back to Kentucky just to clear my head, uh, clear everything out. So I've been in a relationship that ended, things weren't going well. Like I was serving tables at Buffalo Wild Wings, um, shout out to B-dubs. And then moved to Kentucky, uh, started working in a shoe store, actually. I was at an Asics outlet down there. And eventually was like, you know, I really miss competing. Yeah. So I got on, we had this little marketplace on, on Facebook, found a sled that was the right price, drove from Louisville, Kentucky to Vancouver, Canada, bought the sled, has stopped in Park City, Utah, found a job on the way, and then moved to Park City and bought this sled and and ended up throwing on some really good results. So it was like a last ditch effort and it brought me back into the sport and we just found equipment that worked for me. I settled on a sled, my head worked a little better and I was, I got good. So. Oh, dude, that, that just the whole journey is just crazy. Cause you wouldn't think that from the outside looking in, you might just think, Oh, you started, it was fantastic. But there were some peaks and valleys in that journey to getting to you, to the sport that you wanted, the sled that you wanted and getting back into the right mental space to where you'd be able to compete at a high level. Um, so Andy, tell me this, then tell me, the compet you love the competition and I, and I, and I want to just know how does, you know, racing, you know, doing skeleton, the thing that you were going to the Olympics for that you've qualified for the Olympics for doing this, how does this compare to other sports that you have competed in? In that so sense, talk about the competition. It's crazy. So, I mean, racing is racing, right? But if you watch a car race, you can tell who's in the lead through the course of the race. If you're watching a, an Olympic track and field race, there are multiple people racing at the same time. You can see right. who's the front runner, who's in the back, who's got the kick, what, whatever those parts of that race are. With skeleton, there are so many variables and those variables change through the course of the race. So sometimes you'll be somewhere that it's, foggy out and they have the ice is like uh the ice what's what's sort of um like the refrigeration sorry i can't even think right now uh the refrigeration will grab that fog and it'll frost the ice so okay. then you're not on a smooth surface you're fighting through frost and that can change from the beginning of the run to the end of it there's only one person at a time on the track and we don't have like a marker. I, I can't tell where I am in relation to other people when I'm sliding. So every time that we slide, it's not only a competition with other people, but it's a, it's kind of an internal 
one at a time competition with myself. I can only take that and relate that to, to what I'm feeling or experiencing, how I accelerate a sled, where I want to position my sled during the, the course of the race. Um, and that all comes through our, our practice runs and our training. And sometimes you'll have a run that you think is this baller run. And then you see the time and you're just defeated because you're like, no, that run was so good. But every set of our runners is different. Our sled setups change, whether you keep an arrow position or whether you're kind of fighting the sled and, and not getting it where you need to go. All of those things play into it. So it's, it's honestly the hardest for competition because you don't ever feel like you're in a direct competition. Yeah. When I'm playing basketball and I shoot, shoot a ball, I'm like, okay, I know whether that went in or didn't, I can see the scoreboard. I know if we're winning or losing, we get done. And then sometimes you're just waiting. You just stand there and you wait to see if you're getting a second run or you stand there and wait to see, uh, in St. Moritz, it was kind of interesting under Mirabel, who has been, he competes for Spain. He's been in the majority of the races that I've had internationally, starting on NAC, working our way up on World Cup, World Championships, different things like that. And he was specifically waiting to see if he qualified for the Olympic Games based off of what another athlete who came down after him did. Oh, wow. So, (laughs) and I'm just standing there with him and he sees the result. He jumps up, he gives me a huge hug. He's like, I'm going to the Olympics again. And it all depended on what someone else did at a different time. Yeah. This puts a totally different spin on that competitive athletics when you're totally, your head to head is spaced out. Like maybe they're the first one off the hill and you're the last one off the hill, but your season hangs on what they do. Yeah, man. So that it speaks to like the mental toughness you have to have, like the mental discipline as a competitor in that sport. You have to be good physically, obviously understand the technical side of things as you're, as you're racing, but yeah, that's a mind, mind, uh, mess up right there is the best way I can put it without being explicit, but like, dude, you have to be able to understand, like, just stay focused on what you're doing and control what you can control. Understanding there are some outside things that those outside variables that you can't necessarily control. You have to wait on, but that would mess me up a little bit. So that that's actually, that's, I think that speaks volumes to your character though. And your, your competitive nature, because you're able to do that. Like you said, the other sports are a little bit unique in that regard. Cause you can always you have an opponent of some sort. Um, uh, but this is more of an individual slash you're competing against other people, but you're, you got to focus on that, um, at the same time. So I got to respect your time on the interview. So I just have two more questions for you, Andy. I want to, dude, I'm so excited for you. This is so cool. So as you get ready for the Olympics, now that you've qualified, I know you're probably super stoked. I don't know, like, what are your emotions as you're going there? Are you trying to stay mellow? And what is the training like? I guess the same question is, what's the training like as you prepare for the Olympics right now? Are you trying to just, how often are you trying to train and whatnot before you get going? Yeah, so we're actually at a training camp in Chula Vista, California right now. Uh, uh, most of our training off ice is lifting, running, Sprinting, I'm actually a little out of shape and I'm kind of kicking myself for it. Uh, that's on me. What what ends up happening, so every track that we slide on is different. The corners are all shaped different. They come at you at a different speed. So how fast uh, transition between corner A and corner B is, those are very uh, different everywhere that we go around the world. When 
when it comes to preparation for China right now, I'm actually behind everyone else. So we had two spots at what they call the test event. So it's an international training period that happened. Uh, it was supposed to be the end of last year due to COVID. It ended up being at the beginning of this year. And I was in a different spot for qualification. So I, I qualified third out of our team trials, but we only have two spots. So then all of our points throughout the, the year internationally are put together into our qualification points. I was third, we had two spots. There were two other guys who were offered those spots to go to China for three weeks. So other nations took multiple athletes. We took two. I was not one of those two. I've never seen the track that I'm about to compete on. Ah. So I think, I don't know for sure. I think I have 10 runs. So I'll get 10 times to practice 16 curves before I'm racing. Wow. Which it's a lot. So right now I'm, I'm watching as much video as I can find, trying to grasp as much of what it's gonna feel like from other people's anecdotes or like my team will tell me, they're like, Oh, this is what we felt. This is what we felt. This is what we felt. We're trying to do this. And I, I just have to piece those together. So a lot of this prep is trying to be as prepared and have as much work that I can do prior to the first time I get on that track. Yeah. Holy cow. Andy, that's, that's crazy because dude, you haven't even, so these other people have a little bit of an advantage in regards to the experience on that specific track. You are trying to like piece this together mentally. It's almost like watching film and footballs. If you're similar, like you're putting things together, but then you only get a select few 10 runs. You said to, to practice this actual track. So Holy cow, that just adds another layer of complexity to your preparation yeah, of the Olympics. We'll take it back to like a basketball or a field goal. Like if you're a kicker, imagine only being able to to kick a ball 10 times from anywhere on the field before you're in a game situation and you just hope that you're kicking from that location that you practiced. It's it's kind of crazy now looking back at it at a I think I just haven't really given my time, my like self time to process that aspect of it. I'm just kind of rolling with it. Yeah. Yeah. I have to keep sliding in a very light kind of fun environment. If I get super serious before I slide, the first thing I do is either pop the groove. So we have one little star groove that holds our sled in place. And then the other runner is on the flat ice. If you're just sprinting, pushing that, and you don't have anything holding your sled, you're straight into a wall and your runs over. I, I will do that. I get too amped too fast. So I have to keep it very light, funny. I tell jokes on the start line. My coach and I will, will stick our tongue out at each other. We'll laugh, whatever it is, because that's what works for me. Yeah. Um, I was always that, that kind of way. Like I can't do super serious. I can't walk into like, I'm going to win. Or the first thing I do is lose. I know that. Yeah, no, I feel you. And it's kind of funny because if I if I remember, like, obviously, like I said, I only had one year of competing on the same team as you, but you kind of always had that personality of like, just, you know, you stay lively, you know, you stay excited. And I think that's awesome. I mean, everybody's got a different preparation type of mindset type of thing. Some people are all in it. Like, I got this. They're super serious. They're focused. And some people have to, you know, put put a little liveliness into it. But I just want to say on top of that, that 
to, to add a little complexity there and to the field goal uh, analogy you mentioned, kicking it 10 times and kicking it. Let's add, you're in the Olympics. So let's say you get 10 times to kick the ball and then you're in the Super Bowl. Okay. And then yeah. you have to kick. So there, let's just, let's make sure that comparison's equal there because you're going to the Olympics. I think you downplayed it a little bit. So we got to make sure people understand. Last question for you, Andy, as I, as I wrap this one up, biggest life lesson that racing in the bobsled slash skeleton world has taught you. Uh, so this is going to probably sound a little cliche, but it honestly taught me that I can do anything. <laughs> I mean, not anything, but, but sticking to something and that perseverance honestly can yield really good results. If I had given up when I initially thought that I was giving up, I I've quit the sport in my head more than probably anyone. We have a joke on my team that my equipment is perpetually for sale. I'm I'll have a bad run. And I'm like, I'm done. I hate this. I'm done. And you know, if I had really followed through on that, I wouldn't be sitting here having this talk. So it's kind of fun to like really learn that I have that uh, opportunity and, and the, the things that have come out of me just sticking to something. Um, you know, I, I coach high school track and volleyball right now at a school in the Valley. I'm over at Capitol and I want to teach the kids that I coach that, you know, competition can still happen. It can still go. You can still build. It may not be in the, the initial sport that you thought it was going to be in, but the, that opportunity is there. And I, think I just have such a good feeling towards sports and what sports have taught me about myself, about other people and, and how to interact with people, you know, coaching is an art form and, and all of those things kind of come together through this experience with skeleton. So, so awesome, man. Andy, we're wishing you luck as you go on your way into the Olympics, brother. And it's been an honor being able to chat with you. Um, and I'll continue to follow your story from afar over here and we're rooting you on, man. But uh, I appreciate you taking the time. You got other interviews to do, and I'm sure. And so do your thing, man. But thanks for joining the podcast, and we'll stay in touch. All right, brother? Awesome. Thank you. Thanks. For everybody listening, make sure you tune in. We'll be coming to you next week with another interview. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of my show. Now, if you could go and do me a favor, head over to iTunes, give me five stars, and leave me a review. It would be greatly appreciated. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your support.